Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous week today. Fabulous week today. That sentence makes absolutely no sense. I hope you've had a fabulous week. And I hope you're having a going to have a great Saturday. Today is wrap-up Saturday where I wrap up what we talked about over the week. And I thought I would just start off with a couple old-school Christmas carols, Christmas hymns. That kind of touch in what we've been talking about this week. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the night sky looked down where he lay the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay silent night holy night all is calm Is bright round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly. In heavenly peace. <sighs> I do love the Christmas season, don't you? All right. Well, like I said, welcome. I hope you had a fabulous week. Well, today in Wrap Up Saturday, we're going to just kind of put a little ribbon on what we talked about all week. We started off by talking about... Uh, the genealogies in Matthew and Luke and comparing them. They are different. We were wondering why they were different. Uh, a popular consensus is that Matthew contains the genealogy of uh, Joseph and Luke is actually the genealogy of Mary. Um, that's one explanation. Other explanations as to why they're different has a lot to do with the purpose being presented in these genealogies. First of all, uh, genealogies from that culture didn't have to contain every name of everybody who begat anybody else on that list. For instance, Matthew's genealogy is very exact. There's 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the uh, exile, and 14 from the ex, etc. You see how that works. Uh Matthew was a man of numbers and accuracy and recording things. Uh, if you've ever watched the special The Chosen, I'd recommend it. I love how they portray Matthew. Very detail-oriented. And he split it up into 14. 14 is a very specific number. And so he split Jesus' genealogy up into three sets of 14, which had numerical significance to him. Um 
But there were a lot of names left out. Obviously, there's more than 14 generations between those events. So there's that. And Luke, he had a different purpose in his genealogy than Matthew. And he took Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam, where Matthew only went back as far as Abraham. But they both had the same result. They both show names of people great, people not so great, people famous, people not so famous. And I'm wondering, oh, hello, Henry. I think Tommy Toad will wait for another day. <laughs> Henry is one of my guitar students that I meet with each week. And uh, he's been following me faithfully on these uh, podcasts. So, uh, but these genealogies had some very unique things in them. I, for instance, in Matthew's genealogy, he actually includes women. There was Rahab, there was Tamar, there was Mary, there was uh, Bathsheba. Uh, some of these women had less than stellar character. In fact, Mary was actually considered to be less than stellar in her moral fiber uh, due to the fact that the baby she was carrying wasn't Joseph's. But we'll get in that in a second. So there's lots of very unique things, but I have this on our page here. It says, Jesus' royal lineage therefore includes men and women, Jews and Gentiles, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes. Jesus is a Messiah who saves all. His lineage, it represents the entire human race, not just the Jewish one. He isn't a Jewish Messiah. In this, he's oh, all right. Let me back up. He is a Jewish Messiah because he's Jewish and he's Messiah. But he isn't the Messiah just for the Jews. I grew up in my Christian faith for a while, thinking that Gentiles were the Plan B. He came to save his own. His own rejected him, meaning Israel, the nation, and the Israeli, Israeli, Israel's religious leaders rejected him, and that he turned to the Gentiles as a plan B because his own people refused him. That's total wrong thinking. His own people did not refuse him. There were plenty of Jewish believers that believed in him and followed him. And Gentiles were always part of God's plan. If you look back through uh, all the Old Testament, God always makes room for Gentiles at his table. There's always room for a Gentile who wants to find God. So, uh, and we see that, and we're going to see that later on with the with the Magi. So anyway, that's what the that's what the lineage helped me to understand is that Gentiles weren't a plan B for God. We were always part of His plan. And Jesus' lineage represents Jewish and Gentile populaces. So we're cool there? Right. Then we went from there, the lineage, till we talked about Mary and Joseph. This was one of my favorite parts of this whole thing was my study on Mary and what an incredible young lady she was. I don't know many young teenage girls that could have stood up to what this young lady had to stand up to for the rest of her life. When Gabriel appeared to her in a room and told her that she had found favor with God and that she was going to carry the Messiah in her womb, what a moment. 
What an incredible moment. And if you remember, I told you that how I taught that lesson to a, uh, a Christian music class during Christmas season once. And I, I asked all the middle school girls, 13, 14 year old girls, to raise their hand and said, would you consider it an honor if God said you were going to be the mother of Messiah, the one who would save the world from their sins? And they all went, yeah. I said, okay, now go tell your dad you're pregnant. And they stared at me in horror, realizing what that moment must have been like for Mary. Mary was going to have to tell her father that she was pregnant. And the father was going to ask, who's the father of the baby? What is she going to say? She has three choices. She could say God is, which would be hard to prove because God hadn't spoken to anybody in 400 years. An angel showed up and told me. Nobody's seen an angel for 400 years, with one exception. She could lie and say that she was taken advantage of. But there's something in her Mary's character, as spoken to by the angel Gabriel, that tells me that lying wasn't really part of who she was. Or she could just shut up and say nothing. I don't know how she responded to that question because there had to be a point when that discussion had to happen. She rushes off to see Elizabeth, the only other relative she had that could possibly understand this whole angelic thing, because the same thing had happened with Elizabeth's husband. And she spent the last three months of Elizabeth's pregnancy with Elizabeth, and she comes home, she's three months pregnant, then the truth comes out, she's pregnant with somebody else's child, she goes away to visit her cousin, she comes back pregnant. That couldn't look good. But the angel appears to Gabriel. I mean, the angel. The Gabriel appears to Joseph and assures him that Mary has been faithful to him, that this is God's son. So Joseph, being an incredibly stand-up guy, being a just man, he takes her as his wife and protects her. They end up in Bethlehem, no room for Anywhere in the town, she ends up giving birth and puts him in a manger, which leads us to our next lesson that we had, the shepherds. The shepherds are out watching the sheep. Well, that's what shepherds do. Uh, around Bethlehem, around Jerusalem and Bethlehem, uh, there were, uh, they, they would, there would be, places to put flocks of sheep to be used for sacrifices. And these shepherds were watching these sacrificial sheep and angels appear to shepherds of all people. Why wouldn't the angels appear in Jerusalem to the high priest? Say, the king of the Jews is here. He's in Bethlehem. And their own prophetic scripture said Bethlehem, Euphrates, was the place of the birth of the king of the Jews. Why wouldn't angels appear to the high priest? I don't, you know, there's a lot of questions there. But they appeared to shepherds. Blue-collar, common, everyday, hard-working men. And they appeared and told them that Messiah has been born. And they gave them directions. And they went and saw the baby and they worshipped. 
we talked about how sometimes God uses the humble instead of the proud, how God uses the simple instead of the complicated, how God sometimes uses the foolish to confound the wise. I don't know if that was part of it, why he appeared to these simple shepherds instead of to the more sophisticated, uh, well-read religious leaders in Jerusalem. Don't know. He appeared to the shepherds. Pretty amazing stuff. Then we went from there and we went to the Magi. That was fascinating for me. I thought the Magi were absolutely, was absolutely the most fascinating part of this. Um, it was probably the most puzzling part of the Christmas story for me. Why? Why would these people from the Far East know that there was a savior, a Messiah, a king of the Jews. Why was there a king of the Jews that they knew about? I mean, they had to come from the area of what used to be Babylon, Persia, Iran, if you will, today. And uh, the secret apparently lies in the book of Daniel. When Israel was taken into the Babylonian captivity, Daniel was brought over. We all know the story. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace. Um, Daniel was promoted to be the head, uh, in some translation here, say the head of the magicians. That's really a poor name. They're wise men. And then the name was Magi. Sound familiar? Dave, Daniel was the head of the Magi. Now the Magi were a... a scholar class, if you will, within that culture. And they were well-disciplined in the various educational disciplines, astronomy, uh, they uh, religions. And Daniel, if, if you ever, ever read his story, you find out that Daniel was very faithful to God and he would have brought the scriptures with him when he went into captivity. And when he became head of this educational class, for lack of better words, the Magi, he would bring. It's no small thing to imagine that he would have brought his scriptures in it that made that part of their study. They studied the Jewish religion, the Torah, the five books of Moses, and it would make it would become as no surprise to me that they would find this prophecy that, that Daniel wrote about this dream where he lays out in specific years how long it would be before the king of the Jews would be cut off or killed, prophesying Jesus' death, of course. And the Magi would just figure out what that date was and then they would they could count back 30 years and they find out approximately when this king of the Jews was to be born and when that time came a representative of that class made the journey now they knew to go to Jerusalem they didn't know about Bethlehem so they show up at Jerusalem now these weren't three old guys on three camels 
apparently, according to some people that I've read, they probably would have brought an armed escort with them. And they were coming from a kingdom that Rome had a lot of problems with. Rome had never been able to conquer that kingdom. So things were kind of tense between these two nations. And all of a sudden, even though they're not at war, these three magi with an armed escort shows up in Jerusalem, go find King Herod, say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And it says, Herod and all of Jerusalem were very troubled. I don't think it was, Herod was so much troubled at the fact that the, that there was a, another king of the Jews being born, though that bothered him. But an armed escort from a nation that was that has had tensions with Rome in the past, that would be very troubling for a local ruler. But they showed up with their armed escort and they said, where's this king of the Jews? And so he gets his, Herod gets his priests and religious leaders together and they say, oh, it's in Bethlehem. So then he tells the Magi, well, go find him, then come back and tell me exactly where he is so I can come worship him. And that's where Herod hatches his plan uh, the ma- to, to try to kill Jesus. The Magi get warned in a dream. Now, why would an angel of the Lord appear to the Magi? Because as an angel appeared to them and told them what Herod was doing, so they left by another way and never went back to see Herod. What is it about these Magi? I think these Magi, it says they worshipped him. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gave it to Mary and Joseph as gifts for the birth, and then they worshipped him. Is it possible that God had worshipers outside of the Jewish world? Apparently so. These Gentile wise men worshipped him. They brought gifts. They paid homage to him. And an angel appeared to them to warn them so that they could go off by another direction. Herod, of course, did his own, does his own calculations, discover, okay, um, anytime between two years ago and now, that baby was born. So he makes this decree that he sends his soldiers to kill male babies two years old and younger. An angel appears to Mary and Joseph and says, get out of town, Herod's coming. And so they take Jesus off to Egypt. And that's kind of where the Christmas story ends. This has been an incredible week where I've really seen the humanity of all these situations. From the working class shepherds being the recipients of the angel's message. Uh, A nondescript Jewish maiden, 14 years old, becomes mother, accepts accepts God's calling to become the mother of our Savior. Knowing what that was going to mean for her, that for the rest of her life, she would be tainted with a bad reputation. The fact that Jesus' lineage contains some of the most sordid characters in Jewish history. Wow. That to me is 
That speaks volumes. Jesus is Messiah to all of us. Gentiles, we Gentiles, we're not plan B. It was always God's plan for God so loved Israel. Well, yeah, he loved Israel, but God so loved the world. That's us. That's the Christmas story. Gentile wise men came to worship him. They were drawn by God to Bethlehem to worship it, the king of the Jews. Mary. Uh, 14-year-old Jewish girl became the mother of our Savior. Blue-collar shepherds. Nobody by the world's standards were the first ones to receive the angelic message heralding the arrival of the king. Isn't that amazing? Do you find that as amazing as I do? It's heartwarming to me to realize that from the very beginning of time, God had me in mind. I'm not plan B. That's the big takeaway from this week. I'm not plan B. Oh, well, couldn't save enough Jews, so I guess I'll go get some Gentiles. No. For God so loved the world, he loved me. Because of that courageous young Jewish girl. Because of that incredibly godly man, Joseph. Because of those, because of these incredibly common blue collar shepherds and the magi. Wow. God loved me and God loves you. That's our wrap-up Saturday. I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous week and fabulous time at church tomorrow. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do starting Monday because I've covered all my main things that I love about Christmas in this week. Got a couple weeks to go. I wonder what will happen. Maybe I'll sing some songs. Who knows? God's blessing to you. Merry Christmas. Mr. G, I'm out of here.